Hello, everyone, and thanks so much for joining us for this ABQC podcast. My name is Lauren Trees, and I lead the KM Research Program at ABQC. Today, I am very pleased to be joined by Stan Garfield to talk a little bit about the state of knowledge management and some of the biggest trends that, that, that you see in this space, Stan. Um, Stan is a longtime expert in the knowledge management space. He's a community leader, an experienced speaker, prolific author across a, a range of print, digital, and, and social media. He's also a contributing author to the just released book, Knowledge Management Matters, Words of Wisdom from Leading Practitioners. So thank you so much for, for being here, Stan. Glad to be here, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So in Getting a chance to talk to you today, there were so many potential topics that we could dig into, but I thought it would be most fun and, and perhaps most fruitful to talk about KM from a, a big picture perspective and, and the evolution that we're seeing in, in the discipline. So earlier this year, you had shared with me some top 10 trends in knowledge management, and I thought we could start by going through that list and, and maybe you could just say a little bit about each of those. Sure, be glad to. Uh, often the question comes up, you know, what are the latest trends or what's hot in knowledge management? And when I thought about that, I, I gave you a list of 10. And that starts out with the two terms, uh, the digital workplace and, and digital transformation. I don't know that these terms have any universally agreed on definition, but I think what they get at is that we're evolving from doing things in ways in the past that were less electronic to ways that are more so. And so that involves two things in my mind. One is Changing some of the platform used for the processes that we do in business. And the second is change management necessary to accomplish that. So there's both a technological base of that, or we have new platforms in many cases that we can use to do our work. And then we have to go through a management of change process in order to get people to use those in ways that are routine. We often find that uh, it's not enough to give a new tool out and say, here, start using it. You have that tool embedded in and the work that people do, you have to make it so that people want to use it and have incentives to use it. So it's not as simple as just saying we're rolling out this new platform. You also have to have parallel with that, the management of change to get people to embrace it and use it routinely. The second one would be working out loud. It's often called that or um, narrating your work. This is almost a movement that started up and there's several people, including John Stepper, who are very active in, in leading it. But working out loud to me suggests that instead of doing things the way we once did them, where we did work more secretively, almost on a need-to-know basis, we only included those few people that we absolutely had to when we were working on things, working out loud changes that <clears throat> so that people actually tell the world what they're doing so that other people can be aware of it, they can interact, they can respond. It makes people able to, to respond to you by saying, oh, you're working on that, so am I, let's work together on that or they find parts of what you're doing informative to help them in their work. So it changes our, our more secretive history of how we worked in a hierarchical organization into one which is very different. It's transparent. It invites people whom you may not even know to interact with you to come forward and respond to what you're doing. So I think that's another big part that knowledge management can support. The third one on the list was community management. Uh, communities have been around for a long time, but the idea of community management as a formal discipline and one that's getting a lot of attention and recognition, I think, is more recent. We even have things now like Community Manager Appreciation Day. You have community management 
uh, coming up in, in contexts that are different than knowledge management. In particular, companies are using it as a way of engaging with their customers. It's much more routine now that major brands realize they have to have a way to interact with people that use their brand. And so community management, which once was more about community of practice, now is more expansive and includes uh, brand-oriented or marketing-oriented community. So that gives us more oomph behind the idea that we should have community managers who are formally trained, developed, and assigned to full-time roles. We certainly hear a lot about cognitive computing and artificial intelligence, and there's certainly a lot of opportunity there to use those technologies in ways that enable knowledge management to work better. I would point out that artificial intelligence isn't exactly new. It's been around for a long time. It's had different periods where it's come more in and out of vogue. It seems to be back now, and that's a good thing, but there's no easy way for it to be used. It's easier to talk about it than necessarily figure out how to use it. But I think in the context of knowledge management, cognitive computing, where we use the power of the computer and the data that it can analyze to better inform our decision-making so it augments our knowledge rather than replaces it is where I think cognitive computing fits. Uh, analytics and business intelligence and big data and all the related terms that we hear now in the field of data science, once again, they've been around for a while, but now they're getting more attention. And the idea that we can use numbers of data that we can collect in ways that can help us to get insights into what's going on and then to inform our, our actions and decisions based on that data, I think, will continue to be important to knowledge management. The term enterprise social networks now has been around for, for a while, and we're seeing more companies formally launch and support enterprise social networks in the past. We didn't use that term. We probably had terms like bulletin boards and discussion forums and listservs. It's really the same sort of concept of having online threaded discussions, but it provides a better user interface for it. So with the advent of social media and people being used to using tools like Facebook and Twitter, enterprise social networks now bring that kind of user interface into the workplace. And tools like Yammer and Facebook's Workplace now offer that capability for enterprises. So I think the trend there is to take advantage of the fact that most everyone has been using social media outside of work to get them to use more of that kind of an approach within work. And chat is sort of encroaching on territory as well. We've seen tools like Slack become enormously popular, which make it easy for people to interact in teams and have text-based interactions. So the, the, how do you integrate that into the knowledge management environment is sort of a challenge. If, if Slack is growing up alongside your enterprise social network and your company's office automation tools, how, does, how do you make that fit in? Gamification is a new term for what we used to call a point system or incentives. It was a way of recognizing people for doing the behaviors you wanted them to do in knowledge management. Not a new concept, but sort of a new name, a new emphasis. So gamification and giving out digital badges, there are more recent ways of giving incentives to people to perform the behaviors you want them to do. And I think that one of the questions we always ask as part of the digital transformation is how do you get people to change their behavior? And gamification is one way that can be used to work to, to motivate people, to give them incentives in order to do that. The term agile methodology, which has come to us from software development, is becoming more broadly applied. A new book just came out from Steve Denning about uh, Agile and the age of Agile, it's called. And, and we're seeing it being applied in the knowledge management. You hear people talk about Agile knowledge management. I think what that just fundamentally means is things we, we've long believed but now become more formal, which is to engage your customers in the process of developing 
systems and processes for them. So instead of going off separately and coming up with a KM system, you now would work closely with your users and you would iterate from that. You do rapid integration of these new developments into your environment rather than doing it off in sort of a vacuum and coming back and then failing it. So iterative, uh, continuous innovation and engaging your customers closely in the, the co-development of the knowledge management environment. And then finally, the area of mobile applications, bring your own device, where we have to recognize that more and more people are using their mobile device instead of their laptop or their other computer, and making sure that our knowledge management systems are optimized for mobile devices and work well with them in such a way that you don't force people into using a platform that they're not using anymore. So that's kind of my quick run through of the 10 trends that I looked at mine. I think it's such an insightful list, and I think one of the things that stands out to me is how much interconnection there is between all of the different trends that you mentioned, especially you were saying at the front uh, that digital workplace and digital transformation, nobody has a really clear universal definition of those, but I think so many of the things you talked about from mobile apps and bring your own device to cognitive computing and artificial intelligence and analytics and business intelligence and a lot of things that have existed for a while and, and you know, even for, for decades, um, you know, when you go back to analytics that are becoming a little bit easier to do and also there's more energy around them because of the energy around digital transformation. Um, so, so there's some things I think that you mentioned that are really new and then some things that um, to me at least they've been around a while but they're just kind of getting their um, you know their moment in the sun here beca because of that. So uh, of all the things that you mentioned um, is there anything that you think is particularly transformative for, for the discipline? Well I think that one of the things that we should really think more about it. As I mentioned, there's a movement that started, but I don't know that it's been widely embraced yet. Is this one about working out loud? I think that the power contained in that is that, as I mentioned, organizations tend to be insular. They have hierarchies. People tend to communicate only in narrow groups. There's still prevalent use of email rather than using enterprise social networks for more transparent communication. I certainly experienced it in the years that I worked in, in organizations where there's sort of lip service given to the idea of using an enterprise social network, but then people revert to their old ways of communicating in small groups. I only send the email to people that I know and trust, and I don't want anybody else to know. And that sort of thing plays itself out over and over in, in organizations and still does. So I think if we're gonna have a true digital transformation, then one way is to really recognize the fact we have to move from need to know basis to need to share. And I think that's a radical change that organizations aren't really ready for, but if they can start to move towards that, if we work more transparently, if, if we're able to see what everybody else is doing and thinking, and they're not afraid to share and they're not afraid of letting the whole organization in on what's going on, that has a chance to make a real major change in organizations being much more effective than the way that traditionally worked where everybody only knew the things that they were you know, entitled to know rather than making it so that the organization works out loud. So I'd start with that one. And obviously, as you said, it's interconnected. It's interconnected with digital transformation, with enterprise social networks, and with communities. But the idea of working transparently, that'd be one that I think has a major opportunity. And the second one that I'll mention would be cognitive computing. I think that, unfortunately, right now, I think that's more buzzword than reality. I certainly have encountered people who like to talk about it 
but don't know how to do it. And I think that's been true in the past about things like innovation. People like to talk about innovation, but they don't really know how to do it. I think that's true here with, with use of artificial intelligence. That, as I say, we've had the capability for a long time, but we've struggled with how do we use it in ways which are different. It's not enough just to say that we're going to have, uh, a, let's say, a Siri-like user interface where we can talk to a computer. That's not really transformative. What is, is if there is some way that we now get information presented to us at the time a decision needs to get made in a way that really enables us to make a better decision by bringing to bear all of the data that's out there and all the human interaction that's possible through our, our social networks. So I think those are the two that I'd single out working out loud in cognitive computing as if we got those right and we got them to be more widespread and we used them in ways that were truly evolutionary that would make a big difference. Yeah, and I would say, I think even in the last six to 12 months, organizations are starting to figure out how to apply cognitive computing, at least the sort of, you know, scratching at the edges of, of applying at least machine learning to some of their, their KM systems and doing that rather than it just being a, a complete buzzword, um, which I think it's been for, for a couple of years. So I'm excited to see some, some actual movement there and some real companies going out and doing some real things. I did want to ask you a question about working out loud because I think it's such an appealing concept and, um, you know, especially to people in the KM space. But do you have any thoughts on the cognitive overload of, of everybody kind of sharing all of that information, um, you know, out there in, in the sort of public space of the organization? And, you know, people are already telling us that they have so much information and they're getting so much email and so many messages, you know, about how you filter some of that information and, and keep it from, um, you know, either driving you crazy or, or preventing you from kind of getting your, your deep work and, and concentration, you know, requiring activities done in the workplace. Yeah, that's definitely important. And that definitely overlaps then with some of the other trends that we talked about. If you talk about enterprise social networks and community management as two of the other trends, I think that helps answer the question about what do you do about information overload. Because in a large enterprise social network, there's no way that anyone could keep up with all the posts that are being made. So you have to then use communities as a way of doing that filtering. If you do it right, and the vision that I've always had for communities is that you have one community for each important topic to the organization. If you have that structure in place, and if it's at the right level of granularity, it is possible to keep up with the activity in a community. It's not possible to keep up the activity in the entire network, especially in a large company. So you have to filter it that way. But if you do it right, and if you say that everybody has at least one community that they belong to, and it's the one most relevant to their job, and if you then do your working aloud within those communities, then the noise level is kept down. You, you only get a notification because it's the community that you belong to that's relevant to your work. You don't necessarily get other notifications unless you're specifically named in another post. So if you use the combination of sort of three levels of filtering, one by the community, which is probably the most important, two by your name, if you get mentioned in an enterprise social network, you'll get a notification and that's appropriate, but you're not gonna get a high volume of those typically. And third would be the use of a hashtag or, or, or metadata, you know, the idea of tagging a post so that it has a topic associated with it that might be in another community, but it's a topic you're still interested in. So if you have those three levels of filtering, then I think that allows you to keep the attention at a reasonable level where you can pay attention to things that matter to you and not be bothered with things that don't. And then in that case, if the community is working out loud on the subject that's important to it and its members, 
I think that that's manageable and you'll get beyond the thing where I would observe communities, for instance, some of the companies I worked at that would be started that were private communities and they would exclude people. That sort of goes against the whole idea of knowledge sharing. But yet, that's how a lot of companies are still functioning. So getting their communities to be open, welcoming everyone into the community, including those that don't formally work in the organization, but which have a background in it or an interest in it, I think that's how you get to a true level of working out loud without overwhelming people with too much. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad you mentioned the idea of community management as a discipline, because I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that and how you feel like um, the formalization of that discipline and what's going on in terms of community management is is impacting communities inside organizations and, and KM as, as a whole. Yeah, it seems very important to the success of what I just described. We can't have that structure of having one community in place for each important topic without having effective community managers for each one. It isn't, it isn't enough to create a group in it a social network for each topic and then just hope that it works that it generally doesn't work so you need a community manager for each one who's knowledgeable about what they're supposed to do and that isn't necessarily a huge burden but it involves certain expectations like that they need to be monitoring the group to make sure they they see what's going on they have to be stimulating conversation and most important they have to be sure that if someone asks a question in the group that it gets an answer in a timely manner so you need to train your community managers in some of those basic expectations so that they'll perform those. And then you need to have one of those community managers for each one of your important communities. And so I think that's a little bit different than when enterprise social networks were first launched. There was sort of the assumption that they would just run themselves and they would be self-governing and people would create groups and you could create as many groups as you want and the survival of the fittest would apply. And I've always argued against that, that you need to actually carefully manage that because you don't want a proliferation of groups on the same topic that will cause them all to fail. You want to have everyone in one place so that it's not fragmented. But if you do that, you've got to have the community manager making sure that that group's functioning right, that nobody's attacking each other, questions get answered, discussion keeps alive, there's regular posts and replies. There's a lot to be done there. And so I'd say that the change over time is the communities go from just hoping that somebody's leading them to where it should be something that you specifically plan for, train people, assign them, monitor, make sure they're doing well, have a community of community managers to help them get better. And so I'd say that's an important part of an enterprise social network, and it's an important part of any community structure. If you've had a community program, you've long believed that you needed to have the people who lead the communities be very good at that, be trained in it, and have a community for them so they see how, you know, they see a community in action for themselves that they can then mimic in leading their individual communities. Yeah, and I think that's one thing, um, you know, sort of thinking about the trajectory of knowledge management that we've seen consistently across 20 years. You know, the, the functions and the structure of communities has changed and the technology has changed, but whether it's a community of practice or an enterprise social network or whatever that structure is, having somebody steering the ship and, and helping to, um, to move things along has been a critical success factor, um, you know, forever, um, you know, across all of the research that we've done anyway. And so I, I'm kind of curious to, you know, from a, from a real high-level perspective, um, you know, what you see as the biggest changes in knowledge management in the, in the time that you've been, um, you know, working in the space and working on communities, you know, what's changed and, and what's stayed consistent over the years? Well, I've been in the field now officially since 1996, so about 22 years. 
and probably informally for a long, informally for a long time before that, before we started calling it that. So that in some respects, knowledge management has been around even longer. We just didn't call it that. Patrick Lamb's done some writing about how the field has actually been around a long time, longer than people think. But certainly the need for it has existed for a very, very long time. When I joined Digital Equipment Corporation in 1983, um, they were doing knowledge management then. We didn't call it that, we, but we had something called Vax Notes Conferences, which essentially were communities of practice, and the company used those routinely. And, and so to me, the, the, the thing that's evolved is that we've been more formal about naming some of these things, about having it as a, as a discipline, having some of our conferences and events like the APQC conference. Um, what I think has changed over time is that some of the technologies have changed. We didn't really talk much about cognitive computing or analytics earlier on, and now those are more prominent. But uh, in many respects, the field hasn't changed that much over the 22 years that I've been in it. Um, we're still basically trying to do some of the same things. Communities, I think, were important at the at the beginning, and they're still important, and we're talking about them still. So I think that's one example of something that's constant. I think that what's been apparent to me is that the field doesn't necessarily ever take over or grow into prominence the way that some in it thought it might, thought it might take off, you know, and be much more mainstream. An example of that would be the role of the chief knowledge officer. At one time, I think people thought the chief knowledge officer would be an important role. It would be a, a peer to the chief financial officer and the chief uh, operating officer in, in those C-level uh, roles, but it never really took off that way. There are a handful of people like that around, but mostly knowledge management finds itself embedded in some other function that's not at the C-level. And so I think that knowledge management has always fought for its existence. I've been in many companies and seen others where it comes and goes, that it, it has prominence, and then it's, it's eliminated during some budget cutting cycle. And I think that's continued. So what I say about knowledge management is the need is constant. We, we definitely need it. And even if we don't call it that, the underlying things about sharing and reusing and collaborating and learning, uh, those are all still there. And what happens is if a company decides that it's going to slash its CAM department, it'll find later that it needs it. Right? It'll go back and it'll recreate it. And I've seen that happen to companies that I've left where knowledge management was eliminated. And then later I hear that it's been restarted. So to me, yeah, we've seen that pattern so many times as well. <laughs> so many of the thought leaders in the field, if you talk to them, you'll find that they've all been to the same thing, that they've had a program that was recognized by APQC, let's say, as a best practice company. And then uh, later you find out that that person's not there anymore and their program was wiped out or, or cut back. So we struggle against that. I don't think that's changed. I think that you're still going to continue to see that. And I continue to hear that from my from my friends in the field that I'll find out that they're, even though I thought they were doing great, that I'll find out that you know the program was, was changed or eliminated. So, so the struggle for acceptance, for permanence, I think that hasn't changed. Uh, the need is always going to be there, but the response to it varies. So what I see every year when I go to a conference like APQC or CAM World, there's always a whole bunch of new people that have joined the field. So that's promising. You know, keep, keep getting these new people, but then you'll also find that other people have left the field. So I haven't seen that it's necessarily growing dramatically. I haven't seen that it's necessarily shrinking dramatically. So I say that it roughly stays the same. People come and go, programs come and go, uh, but it hasn't ever reached the level of prominence I think that many of us in the field had hoped for. Instead, it's, it's still there, but you talk to the average person in the street, they may or may not ever have heard of knowledge management. Yeah, I think that's right. And, uh, you know, I, I I feel like the 
you know, we just have to continue to, to fight the good fight. And, and one of the keys there is to find ways to, um, you know, show the value, not necessarily measurement in the, you know, quantitative sense, but to communicate that back to executives and, and to continue to do that and, and evolve how we do that. Cause that seems like the, the key to, um, cutting off the, the up and down cycle that happens in so many organizations that you were talking about. When I talk to people about knowledge management, uh, they often don't know the term. If I, they say, what do you do? And I say knowledge management, they won't know what that is. But if I take a moment to explain it to them, if I say it means that an organization takes advantage of what it knows in one part of the organization by reusing it in another part, people will generally get that and they'll nod and say that makes sense. So to me, it's not that hard to get people from not recognizing the term to nodding in agreement with the idea of it. So we're not that far from where that's something that people would accept. This we haven't made that something that's recognizable for, for the average person. Yeah, it's it's intuitive once you explain it. So um, that, that but that's always the mission. And and so many KM people that I've talked to, I think a big part of their role is evangelizing that in the organization and having those conversations and getting people's heads to nod. You know, um, and that's kind of a a constant process of of building building understanding and, and buy-in for, for what they're trying to do. Well, thank you so much, Dan. This has been great. I think um, it's, a, it's a great overview of, of trends and different things that are going on. And, um, you know, I look forward to, to sharing that with everybody. Stan and I will be uh, doing a breakout session on communities and networks at APQC's 2018 KM conference. Uh, this April. Um, and we will also be part of the live Q&A session from the main stage of the conference. So, Stan, I look forward to talking to you more next month. Thanks a lot, Lauren. All right. Thank you so much. Take care.